Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 3. The book of Acts, chapter 3, and we're going to cover the whole chapter today. But it is a great story. A great story. The miracle lives in us. We're going to hear about a miracle today. Luke records Acts to tell us in a historical form what the first church did. How they grew, how they dispersed, and how they carried the gospel to the edges of the known world at that time. <clears throat> and amazing events happened. Amazing events happened that demonstrated God's power. God's power to the lost. They saw how powerful God is. And several days after Pentecost now, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray. See, the temple wasn't a bad thing. It just was misused sometimes. And so they went to the prayer time. There was, there was two, at least two daily prayers and the sacri two daily sacrifices. The evening prayer is where they're going, the afternoon prayer. And it, they give everybody a sermon on Jesus after an amazing event. Let me read the whole passage. Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Well, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted all, through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer 
Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God had made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Let's pray. What a glorious story. What a wonderful sermon. What comforting words we hear about our eternity given to us by your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, may we hear you this morning. Speak to our hearts. Convict us of our sin. Show us how we can change, what we need to change, and help us to draw closer in fellowship and communion with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Peter and John, they provide healing for a lame man. And he's got quite the story. Forty years he was lame. And it launches a sermon on the miracle of salvation. And the miracles in Scripture, they're always meant to draw and point to God. They're always meant to have the purpose of glorifying God and glorifying Him for His love and His goodness to save. That's what every miracle is for. And, and so what is this miracle right here? This miracle and this sermon teach us about how we, what our part is in spreading the gospel, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Can we do miracles? We're going to answer that. We're going to answer that. So Luke records for us in this chapter three actions that draw people to Christ for the miracle of salvation. First one, healing of body and souls, verses 1 through 10. The healing of the body and souls. Let me read it again to you, the miracle that, that they do. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Well, what had happened to him? Well, let's look at that. So Peter and John are attending afternoon prayer at the temple. 
and they wind up healing a lame man. They wind up healing this beggar. He was a permanent fixture at that gate, brought every day to beg at the gate of the temple, outside the, right outside the beautiful gate, which is the eastern gate of the temple grounds. And he was outside the temple asking people. It's, it's probably the most advantageous time to beg people for money when they're going in to uh, give offerings or to prayer to God. They realize, maybe I need to help this guy. You know, They were encouraged. In Deuteronomy 15, Moses encouraged them to be very generous to the poor and the needy. So it was, it was kind of a, an advantageous spot. It's kind of a prim, primo spot for someone to beg. And he begged for money, but Peter and John didn't have any money. They didn't carry money. The disciples, most of the time that we've known them since Jesus chose them, didn't carry any money. But they had something a lot more powerful than money. A lot more powerful. Peter and John gave him a name. The name. The only name that salvation comes in. They commanded him to stand up by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They used that phrasing specifically to let everybody know that the Jesus that had been crucified about 55, 60 days earlier was from Nazareth. He was a man, but he was also God the Messiah. They're using that terminology specifically. The Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth, gave him the ability to walk for the first time in his entire life. And he didn't wobble like a, a toddler. You know, watching kids learn how to walk, isn't that funny? He didn't wobble. He, didn't, he had no problem with stability. His ankles were strong. His knees were strong. And he walked. Matter of fact, he leapt. Matter of fact, he probably skipped if he knew how to skip. I know people that don't know how to skip, but it happens. There was no delay in his healing. There was no hesitation. There was no, give it about 30 days and, and come back to see us if you don't like what you got, you know, if it's not as healed. None of that. Jesus completely heals when he heals, just like he completely saves when he saves. And he, with John and Peter, enters the temple for the first time in his life. He could actually go into the temple. You probably didn't realize that. But in Leviticus 21, it's a restriction for anybody with any kind of malady, ailment, handicap. You could not go into the temple because you were considered unclean. And you could not be made clean until you were healed. But this no longer applied to him. He no longer had to worry about that. He entered praising God, shouting in the courts, and everyone who saw him knew who he was. They, he'd been there long enough, everybody knew. You know what? There's always room for shouts and praising God loudly in any place where God is. And his actions became a testimony of Jesus right then and there. They were like amazed. They were astonished. The crowd was awed, as it said. This is the same reaction they had in Mark 7, 37, after Jesus makes a deaf man and a blind man see. They were, they were, they were, uh, Extremely astonished, I think is what, what, what the way Mark writes it. Extremely astonished, and they said, he does everything well, talking about Jesus. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Yeah, it was the mute man, the man that was deaf and mute. They saw excellence again. They saw an extremely amazing thing. But healing the body of this unbeliever that begged every day also led to the regeneration of his soul. He was saved right there. His, his faith in Jesus Christ wasn't faith to just heal. It was faith for salvation. And his soul was regenerated. And for 40 years, you go over and look at Mark 4.22, you'll find out how old this guy was. 40 
years he was lame from birth. He had never walked. Who knows how long he'd been sitting there, but he waited by the temple, begged by the temple. He never worshiped God there because he couldn't go into the temple, and that's where worship was supposed to happen. But God left him there for 40 years. Sort of like sounds like Moses in the wilderness and in uh, his exile from Egypt. God uses things like this for an eternal purpose. We don't always understand it. We don't always know how to interpret it sometimes. But God's always working through these kind of things for us. For 40 years, he was a beggar. So Peter and John could give him the name that is above every name. You know, one of the things we'll notice as we kind of travel through Acts is that all the miracles in Acts are meant and done on unbelievers. Hardly any of them are churchgoers. Hardly any of them are, are confessed believers. As a matter of fact, it says none. The, the, the one scholars I, I read, they said none of the miracles are done on anybody that's already a believer. The miracles are done on unbelievers. And the purpose is to draw folks to Jesus. Draw that person to Jesus. And in most every case that someone is healed or, or some miracle, physical miracle happens to them, a crowd develops. And, and, and when we, you get to Paul, you, sometimes it's not a good crowd. Sometimes it's a crowd that's like, what? But sometimes, it is, most of the time, it is a good crowd. But they're trying, it's just drawing people to Jesus. That's the whole point of the miracles. And this one was no different at all. It drew people there. God's glory in the act of salvation through Jesus was going to be seen and had already been seen in this man. Healing his body led to healing souls. And we'll see that here in a minute. There was a prophecy about this day coming in Isaiah, Isaiah 35. I'm going to read you an excerpt from that whole chapter, but it's just an excerpt, but it talks about this. It talks about the soul-saving and healing references. It says, he will save you, talking about the Messiah. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then the lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. A road will be there and a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it, but the redeemed will walk on it. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. That sounds like a great road to be on, doesn't it? Everybody that's saved is on that road in this life and definitely in the next. Salvation, it's not just for healing. It's for bringing joy. It's for bringing joy. Salvation, not healing, brings joy. You know, we like to see these kind of miracles. I mean, we pray for them a lot around here. We, we pray for those kind. It's exciting when physical ailments heal and help arrives just in time for something, you know? And we pray every week for medical needs, for physical ailments, for help. We pray that, that somebody will get healed and live just a little bit longer, have a little bit less pain. And those, those are good prayers. And we've seen God work in some mighty ways. But the question we need to ask ourselves today is how do we react when it doesn't get answered the way we want it to be answered, when the healing doesn't come? How do we react? What happens to our faith? Do we doubt God's love? Do we doubt his power? 
Do we distrust his promises? I know I have. I know I have when, the, when I've prayed the prayers and I've prayed it fervently and it doesn't come out the way I was hoping. But when it does and when we react that way, what's our focus really on? It's really on us probably. It's least, at least it's on this life and not the next. But God's kingdom comes with an eternal focus. Always an eternal focus. God looks at souls more than bodies. And we have to be setting our minds on the right things when we think about this. I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that we need to stop praying for healing. Don't overinterpret what I'm saying. But God looks at souls more than bodies. And, and I'm calling us as a church to start doing that, to think more about the eternal life that's available in Jesus Christ. As a church, Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above. Because things in this earth will distract us and they won't last. Healing a soul is always more important in God's kingdom. Healing that soul of the curse of sin and death. And that fact is the miracle that lives in us. We all have that miracle. So maybe, yes, we can do some miracles. So healing of this lifelong cripple changed his life. Boom. I mean, over and over, in just seconds, his life was changed. And his soul was changed. And now it will do the same for this crowd that is going to form. So now we're going to hear Peter telling the gospel hope that's there in verses 11 through 18. Peter gives them a direct, a, a direct sermon, very, very blunt. Hear what, he, hear, hear what he says to them when they form. While he was holding on to Peter, the crippled man was no longer a crippled man. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. And we are witnesses to this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. So Peter and John are standing there. The man's clinging to him. Everybody's, oh my gosh, they're, they're in awe. Solomon's colonnade is kind of like a porch almost in a sense. It's raised up. So everybody's seeing this and they're amazed. And, and Peter confronts their assumptions right up front. Kind of, kind of their, their awe is in, in, oh, look at Peter and John. Wow, they, they healed this guy. But, but Peter confronts it. Judaism taught that good things don't happen to you unless you're pious, unless you're righteous, unless you always are doing good, or at least look like you're doing good. That's the way they taught, and that's not true. I've seen God give some really good things to people that you wouldn't think deserve them, but, you know, God's grace. So it's not about deserving. It's about grace. 
God's goodness is always the source of good. Whether it's miracles, whether it's positive outcomes, God's goodness is always the source of good. Jesus glorified by this man's healing. Jesus is, he, Paul said, Peter says, this is now glorifying Jesus Christ because it was by his name that he was saved or healed. Yes, that Jesus. Some of them are probably scratching their head. You mean that Jesus guy that we killed 60 days ago? Yes, that Jesus, the one God sent. Oh, but you rejected him. You denied him before Pilate, who was probably going to release him. And we've talked about that when we went through Mark. You know, Pilate was really struggling with this whole thing. Jesus is an innocent man. Pilate wanted to release him, but Pilate was too much of a politician, had to give in to the crowd. And their denial resulted in Pilate crucifying Jesus. Their denial had, them, had Pilate crucify Jesus, the Messiah. Peter uses the, the phrase holy and righteous one. That's just a, a, a Jewish name or synonym in a sense or idiom even for the Messiah. They requested a murderer instead. They asked for Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. What do I do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. It went on for a while. They asked for a murderer, a rebel, in exchange for the Messiah. And they participated in killing the author and founder of life. They are guilty beyond doubt. Peter's telling them that flat out. You are guilty. You did this. And I'm sure a lot of them are sitting there going, yeah, we kind of did. I didn't know this, you know, but I didn't realize, blah, blah, blah. But I heard he rose from the dead. You know, all the rumors are flying around. Well, Peter's going to get to that in a minute. When he says, God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. The rumors you have heard are true. <laughs> and we're witnesses. Two of us are standing right here. We saw him. We saw him. We spent 40 days with him. There are more witnesses. There are over 500, according to Paul's account, that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His body is alive. And now, by that name, given to that beggar, and faith in that name, healed him and saved him. Now, they know that name. They've heard of Jesus. I'm sure it was the talk of the town. This guy they crucified on a cross. And then supposedly he rose from the dead, the tomb's empty, all this other stuff. I'm sure the, the scuttle was running around everywhere. Faith in Jesus, through Jesus' life and resurrection, healed this man perfectly. He could walk. He didn't stumble. He didn't wobble. He could run. He could leap. Your eyes are not lying to you. This is the guy. And because of Jesus Christ, he is healed and he is saved. So now as the guilt begins to sink into their hearts, as, as they begin to feel a little remorse, maybe, a little regret, a little anguish, conviction begins to press on them. Did we really, did we really crucify the Messiah? Did we? No, really? I'm sure they're just, it's just churning in. Well, I think Peter sees their faces. I think he can tell that they are beginning to understand. And Peter offers them a glimmer of hope. He offers them this little hope. You acted in willful ignorance, choosing to follow your leader's desires, choosing to follow their ignorance. You acted in willful ignorance. Now, that doesn't exonerate them, okay? Ignorance is not bliss, okay? Not in, not in things of eternity, for sure. But then Peter points out that 
God used it for a purpose. In this way, God. I, I love those phrases in the Bible. In this way, God, or but God. These things tell us that God's about to show up in a big way. In this way, God used your sinful oblivion to crucify the Messiah and raise him from the dead for salvation. He used your ignorance to perform the greatest rescue of all time. Souls from hell. That's better than any rescue you'll ever see. Prophets had spoken about that, the fact that the Messiah will suffer. I mean, go to Isaiah 53. It's all about the Messiah suffering. And God used their violent denial of his, of his life, of his Messiahship, for salvation. See, gospel hope, gospel hope comes from their dastardly deed. Their, their sin brought a hope that Peter's just now offering to them. Their complicity in the murder of Jesus brings hope because Jesus died for sinners. That would be us, too. Jesus Christ of Nazareth died to pay their sin. Their sin, the one he's, that Peter's talking about, of denying that God's Messiah is and God's Son is right there. And so in the midst of this, there's a glimmer of hope springing eternal right there. And Peter shows that the mir real miracle comes from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for their evil sins. You know what? And that miracle never leaves us if we're a believer in Jesus Christ. That miracle is always in us. Peter treats them just like Nathan did a little bit. When Nathan confronts David about his sin with Bathsheba and committed adultery, then, then she got pregnant and he murdered, murdered uh, her, his, her husband, Uriah, so that he could get away with it. Then she, she's pregnant for nine months, she has a baby, and then Nathan confronts David with his sin and tells him a story, and at the end of it, he says, you're that man. That's kind of what Peter's doing right here. He's telling them the truth. You killed the Messiah. You murdered the Messiah. You chose Barabbas over the Messiah, the Son of God. You know, we, sometimes we need our sins confronted like that before we... You, can, you really got to get your sins confronted before you ever can accept salvation because you got to believe first that you're a sinner, that you have disobeyed God, that you're at odds with God, a holy God. That's what Peter's doing right here. But he's giving them a hope at the very end about atonement and forgiveness. Remember these verses, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of that, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's what Peter's telling him. Jesus is the good news that can save any soul. That is the real miracle. That is the real miracle. And, you know, sometimes in the midst of difficulties and tragedies in our life, pain and sorrow and loss, we feel hopeless. Even us as believers sometimes feel hopeless. We feel like we're without aid, without some sort of help. But you know what? Those of us who know that there's a better life beyond this one, even at times we feel like the gospel is kind of a last resort. We kind of go, you know, well, let me tell them about Jesus or let me, let me think about the fact that there is eternity. But the truth is, 
being confronted with difficulty will be fun compared to being confronted with sin by God, okay? Difficulties are a walk in the park compared to what God's going to confront us with at the end of time. And the only way you cannot be confronted with that sin in a condemning way is Jesus Christ. The gospel is our only resort, never our last. Living in this life with an eye on the next keeps the hope alive in us. We've got to keep our eye on the next life. Remember, the best of this life is going to be the worst in heaven. As a matter of fact, it probably won't even compare. And that miracle of eternal life by forgiveness and salvation in Jesus, it lives in those of us who have trusted him. And you know what? We, we, we need to share it. So yes, you can do a miracle by sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. The church has the best, greatest, fantasticest, most wonderful news that we could ever share with anybody. Jesus Christ of Nazareth died for you and me. Amen. Amen. That's the lighthouse that we need to go to every time. It lights the way perfectly every time. Jesus Christ. We can follow it any time. We can follow it in any weather. We can follow it in any form of trouble. So make Jesus your lighthouse. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the lame man... He walks now, and the crowd now knows that they killed the Messiah. So what's next? Well, now Peter invites them to faith. He gives an invitation, if you will, calling souls to God, verses 19 through 26. Peter says, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah, Heaven must receive him until the time of restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. That's Deuteronomy 18, if you want to ever look it up. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Calling souls to God. That's what Peter's onto right now in these verses. He calls them to faith in Jesus Christ by repentance of their sin. He sees the confession on their faith. He sees that they realize, oops, we, we blew it. He really does. Therefore, repent because Jesus died and rose to offer salvation to those who believe. Your sins, I love this phrase. It is exactly what it is in the Greek. Your sins will be wiped out. You ever tried to erase a chalkboard? You remember there's always chalk left? Or how about a dry erase board that doesn't have the right surface on it and you just barely see what was written up there? That's not the kind of wiping out Jesus does. It's gone. Matter of fact, your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, which if you, if you look at your globe, you can't get to the west by going east. You just keep going east. You can't find them again. They're, they're at the bottom of the ocean. Your sins will be wiped out. 
Jesus illustrates repentance best. In Matthew chapter 21, I want to, I want, I want to read this to you because I want you to understand repentance. Peter calls them to repentance. Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. This is just a little parable that Jesus tells them to try to help them understand. He's talking to the Pharisees, I think, at this point, and the disciples. And he says, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first son and he said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I don't want to. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. And he says, I will, sir. He answered, but he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? Well, they answered the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you, John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, you didn't even change your minds then and believe him. Repentance is a complete change of direction. First son said no, and then he went. That's a change of direction. He was walking away from the vineyard. He turned around and went back to the vineyard because his father asked him to go work. That's repentance. It's a great example. Turning back from your sinful habits, turning back from your sinful choices, turning back from your sinful tendencies. It's a constant thing, by the way. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could say that you, you do it once and takes care of everything, but that's not true. Our sinful nature is going to keep trying to drag us back. But turning back to God, turning away from those things, it's, it's, it's possible. Forgiveness and repentance will bring refreshing, rejuvenating, renovating time to a soul. Some studies have been done out there in psychological and, and sociological things, and they're say, they say that forgiveness is one of the biggest things that causes people's mental anguish, mental problems. Just forgiveness. Either they need to give it or they need to receive it. They need to be forgiven. Forgiveness and repentance will bring refreshing from God. Sending Jesus and seasons of refreshing are for two moments. He says, it, he says here that they're, they're for there were for, for seasons of it, for times of it. Well, here's the two moments there for. Right now, with Jesus in your heart, Jesus is there. Jesus is with you. Your soul is awakened by the Holy Spirit. All of that is from Jesus. He is right here with you. So that's the now. But later, in the end, when Jesus returns, at the end of the age, Jesus will return to resurrect all who have trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection for the salvation of their souls. God will send Jesus when his will is fulfilled. I know a lot of us keep checking our watches and going, when's God going to send him back, you know? My gosh, it's been 2,000 years. Well, God's will's not completed yet. The last person's not here yet. The last person's not believing yet. When that happens, he'll send him back. That's why we don't know the day or the time. Lots of prophecies pointing to the end time. A lot of things got to happen in prophetic ways. But I know one thing that he will not do. He will not send Jesus back until the last soul has come to Christ. That God intends to bring to Christ. The prophet's words have testified that. Peter says, you've, you've got all these prophets. As a matter of fact, he brings up Moses because they love Moses. The Jews love some Moses. So they brings up Moses to their minds because Moses told them in Deuteronomy 18 that there would be a prophet. The prophet is really the way it reads. And this is Jesus. And so refusal to follow Jesus is, is basically denying what Moses said. 
faithless denial of the Messiah will cut you off, as, as the prophecy says. Cut you off from your people. That's, a, that's an idiom and a nice way to say you will be killed. You will be in hell. That's the nice way to say it. You will be cut off completely if you have no faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter even goes on to further and says, and you, you're from the, the prophets. You're descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're, you're descendants from the prophets. You know these things. Do you not hear these prophets calling you to repent? They do throughout the whole Old Testament. Most of their writings and most of their sermons are to repent. Come back to God. And then God makes this covenant, actually makes this covenant with himself. In, in Genesis 15, you can see that he, he puts Abraham to sleep, but he walks between the pieces of, of animals to make a covenant with himself that he gives to Abraham. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant. Completely. And Paul Peter said, believe that. The covenant reaches beyond the Jews to all the people who will believe. That's why he, said, he quotes the fact that, you know, God told him, you will bless other nations. You will bless other peoples. Jesus is Abraham's seed to fulfill that covenant. This Jesus that they crucified, that God raised, was sent to them, to the Jews first, to turn them from their evil ways. Salvation is from the Jews. Jesus told the woman at the well that. Salvation is from the Jews. And he sent Jesus there first. And Jesus roams all over Palestine, talks to all these Jews, goes to all these synagogues to offer his forgiveness. A chance, a call to repent from their evil ways. Jesus is that fount of every blessing we just sang about. The streams of mercy never ceasing comes from Jesus Christ for sin. And it calls, in the case of the lame man, it calls for songs of loudest praise. And he, he fulfilled that right off the bat. And so Peter's calling their soul to trust in Jesus of Nazareth. Repent from their evil and find eternal life. That's what he's calling them to do. And that's, that's the good news. Even if you killed and denied and rejected the Son of God Almighty, you too can be saved. You too can be forgiven. You too can repent. That's the good news that we should be telling them. That is the miracle that we carry inside of us. Every Christian carries inside them. You can be forgiven by trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection. You know, this is kind of like, the, it's kind of like finding out that you've received this humongous inheritance from a family that you rejected, from, a, from a, a, a benefactor that you turned your back on. They now have this monstrous inheritance because God forgives. No matter the sin, no matter the life you have lived, the people you've hurt, no matter the tra trail of crimes behind you, no matter any of that, forgiveness is real. That's a miracle. It's possible. Jesus said in the, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, he said, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't die needlessly or just trying to hope you would come to Christ come to salvation he poured out his blood so your sins could be forgiven beloved that is the most amazing and supernatural event that could ever occur a holy god decides to save sinful people 
We don't deserve it. And if you think you do, we can have a conversation about that. But none of us deserve it. It's all a grace. Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. A holy God chose to save unholy souls. That's a miracle. And when God chooses to forgive sins, he, he wipes them completely off your record, like I said a while ago. It is an eternal miracle. You know that lame man? He eventually died. He eventually got sick and died. You know Lazarus, the guy that Jesus raised from the dead? He died once, dead four days, raised him from the dead. He had to die again. But the miracle of salvation, the miracle of forgiveness of sin, the miracle that makes you right with God Almighty is eternal. It's not temporal. It never wears out. It never runs out. Time never affects it. And if you have experienced that miracle, you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell if you've experienced that miracle. You have good news meant for all people, as the angels told the shepherds that night. Do you have that miracle? If you say yes, then, then you should be leaping and shouting and praising God and declaring the greatest miracle of all for God. He forgave. He forgave. Once again, I'm, I'm calling the church to show the world that we have that miracle. And the miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle. They don't need any other proof. They don't need anything else. God's word, our testimony, the forgiveness of our sins, that is enough. They don't need proof. They need faith. You know, if we called souls to repentance with as much enthusiasm as that lame man was celebrating his healing in the temple, people might listen to us. If we were just as excited about that as he was about his legs working now, the miracle of forgiveness and redemption, it lies in every one of us. That's the miracle that lives in us, and it's the best miracle ever. So as I sum up, let me remind you, this healing of the beggar was a miracle, but the greatest miracle of all was the salvation of the souls of those who crucified Jesus Christ and the salvation of our soul as well. So as we close this worship time, I want to remind you that there are revivals going on at two universities now, Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, and Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. The one at Wilmore has been going on for 10 days now. Just prayer, confession, people, people, Christians coming back to their faith stronger, seeking God's wisdom, seeking God's help. People, they, they, I saw a video this morning. The people are lined up around the block in Kentucky at this, at this chapel. They're now breaking it into other chapels on the campus so they can anticipate the crowds and handle the crowds. It's a wonderful thing, but you know why it started? Because people remember the best miracle they've ever seen. That's the reason it starts. They remembered they owed a debt to God Almighty and Jesus paid it. That's the best miracle ever. And that's why these revivals start. That's why people get interested in this. And if we want to see change, church, if we want to see change in our culture, our community, people's attitudes, we must let this miracle show through us too. It doesn't have to necessarily be a, a prayer meeting that lasts 10 days, but we need to stop waiting on something else to excite us about that miracle. We need to stop waiting for it. We need to get busy now. We need to get excited about it now. We must let the miracle inside us come out. So we're going to have our prayer time now, and if you want to come to the front, you can. But I pray that you'll start a revival in your own heart. Revivals are for believers. Awakenings are for non-believers. We need to revive our hearts first. We need to wake them up. 
So we want, want to pray that the same fervor this beggar had about his healing and his salvation, we need to have about our salvation. We need to pray to remember that we have had life-changing forgiveness given to us through Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a few minutes to pray. If you would, if you would like to come to the front and do that, please do. Um, and we'll pray and then I'll close this out.